The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for the evening. God, thank you for the conference thus far. Um, Lord, the conversations that have been had, the um, encounter with you. God, you're so sweet to us. You're so gracious to us. You're kind. And God, we just want to say thank you um, that you know us, you know our frame, and you interact with us in light of that. Gently, um, you deal with us. Um, so God, just thank you. Thank you for that, that grace and that mercy. Um, God, I pray um, tonight that that would continue. I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be challenged. And I, I pray that as you deal with us, that you would drill deep into our hearts um, affection and that you would move us to um, action that reflects how much we um, desire to adore you. And, and God, I just pray if, um, if we're, we're sitting here and we just, that's just not where we are. Um, we don't know you at all and we don't know you in that way. God, I pray um, that um, you would open our eyes um, through um, your text, through your word, um, preach that you would open our eyes and that we would see you because we desperately need that. Um, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'm super excited. Um, last time in front of you guys, so I'm excited and sad at the same time. Um, spending today getting to know um, some more of you guys has been just deeply enriching um, for my soul. So I'm, I'm going back to Miami um, to the beautiful heat. And uh, loaded um, with, with just goodness from um, knowing, knowing you guys. Um, in light of that, just even uh, just thinking about like, man, like what, if I'm gonna, what's the last thing I want to say to you guys, even in thinking of kind of what we've been talking through with just awe and identity and the gospel and all that working in our hearts. Like what is the last thing? I, I can't think of anything better than um, Matthew um, 6, just because of just, it just really captures to me um, burden and just even when, when, when Mike was sharing and just like, man, come, come speak, come and the conference and the whole Theme. I'm like, yeah, this, this just to me kind of captures um, that. And, and so um, my heart is that the weight of the text would, would rest square in our hearts. When I, when I, when I left um, Atlanta to move to Miami to plant a church, I did so because I was deeply burdened by um, what I saw um, culturally, and then not just culturally, but just even across the world, just this idea of, man, the things that we were celebrating, I wasn't sure if um, there's, those were things that God was celebrating. So um, when, I, when I moved to Miami, um, we moved with a car. It, on its last legs, um, <laughs> amen. And so um, it was hot, it's hot in Miami, and so we didn't have any AC in our car, and so I went to go get some Freon um, for our car, and so I went to Walmart. I had to drag myself there because I'm not really a Walmart fan, um, but I went there, took some members of our church at the time, and when I got there, we were standing in line, checking out, um, and it was... <laughs> crazy experience. As we're standing and waiting, like we saw this officer and this man resisting arrest. Now, I'm from the city. I've seen a lot of things in my life. I had never seen an officer and a man like fighting that way. 
So this man was resisting arrest because he had just stole something. And as he's fighting with this officer, this, like, I mean, this officer is kind of tall, a little older gentleman. Um, he hits this, like, UFC swim move, and he grabs this guy's arm, and he handcuffs him to a shopping cart all in one motion. It was trip. I mean, so as you can see, like a crowd started forming because like, what's happening? And when he did that, I'm like, like jaw on the floor. Now I'm with some members, and as they see this happening, and what they do is they start to slow clap. They're like, all right, everybody repeat after me, awkward. Yeah, so I start walking away, like, hey, come on, man, like, I got a minister here, like, what's happening? And so as I'm walking away, I hear other people clapping. And I'm like, why did I move to Miami again? You know, is this, is this going to be my life? And people were clapping. And I thought to myself, I, I can understand that, I guess. He hit this UFC swim move. It was kind of remarkable. And when you see something remarkable, you celebrate it. You clap. Instinctively. And, and, and in my heart, what, what, what's burdened me over the last few years, what, what's even just in conversations, um, what's burdening me is like, man, like, are we clapping? Are, are we, we going to celebrate the things that God celebrates? Like, what, what does God from the throne of heaven clap for? What is he like? Yeah, more of that. Think. Think what he claps for, what he wants more of is what we find in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is um, a prayer. Um, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Um, and just a quick note about prayer. Um, we, we've talked about awe, uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things that we could do to just kind of manufacture um, a appearance of affections. But if you want to measure where your R is, then you look towards your prayers. There's a circular relationship between the awe in our hearts and the prayers on our lips. And just so you know, there's this, this, this wave of prayerlessness amongst Christians, and prayerlessness is functional atheism. To, to, to not pray, to, to not seek God, to, to not sit before him is to treat him as if he doesn't exist, and it's to treat yourself as if you have all the power. It is functional atheism. And if you really want to start to measure what's happening in your, in your life spiritually, where you are, you really could track your prayer life, honestly. Just think about what you've prayed for over the last 30 days. What you've journaled or what you've written in your man diary. Is it, man, you know, like, man, God, God, God I want a spouse. God, I, I need this relationship. God, I just want to pass this test. Not bad things, but, but is that what marks you? So what marks your prayers? And so whenever we examine prayers, they're meant to be a window to what's happening in the heart. And so when we see prayers throughout the scriptures, our hearts should be pulled to say, man, what is happening here? What's the weight of this prayer? And how might this weight come to bear in my heart and through my life? So that's what we're going to We're just going to look at this prayer. We're going to pull out what is its weight and how might that weight come to bear in our hearts and through our lives. Let's, let's read um, Matthew 6, um, very famous um, prayer. It reads like this. Um, our Father, hallowed be your name. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts and as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Famous prayer. You may have heard it even if you don't know Jesus. The reason being is because we hear this prayer and we kind of treat it like the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, United States of America, to the Republic of Force. Like, it's like, like almost this thing that we just kind of recite because it's kind of our Christian duty. Or we kind of treat it like a magical incantation. I say this prayer and now I barter with God. I repeat it and now God owes me something. That's not the essence of what Jesus is doing here. He's giving people a pattern to pray that should shape their life. We know this because of when this prayer is given. This prayer is situated in one of Jesus' most famous discourses known as the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is trying to do through the Sermon on the Mount is deconstruct the way we view life, especially life in light of who God is. And he's trying to deconstruct it and then reconstruct it from a perspective that life should be lived out of the heart. That it's about inward obedience, not just external conformity. Now, we know that because he juxtaposes this prayer with a prayer that you shouldn't pray, namely babbling. Just saying a lot of words so that people could like you. Or saying a lot of words that you think will get God to do something. But it's prayer that should flow from the heart that should shape our lives. Furthermore, the way he starts this prayer is powerful. Our Father. Now, interesting enough, this is often known as the Lord's Prayer. One, Jesus actually never prayed this. We know that to be true because within the prayer, all the petitions, you get to this one petition where he says, forgive us of our sins. Well, Jesus has never had to ask for forgiveness. He gives forgiveness. So this is Jesus again, teaching people how to pray. How do you relate to this father? Furthermore, what's, what's powerful is there's not one singular pronoun in this whole prayer. Not my father, not give me bread, our us. It's a corporate prayer. So it says our father. It means that we don't just pray this as sons and daughters. We pray this as brothers and sisters. We pray this together. Our Father, but he identifies God as a father. So he's identifying that the person that you're praying to wants a personal connection with you. He's a father. Now, I'm a, I'm a father, so I relate to my son differently. I relate to my daughter differently. So my, my son has night terrors frequently. It's, it's a little weird. Sometimes it's a little scary. So I'm like, are you okay? He sweats in his sleep. But sometimes in his night terrors, he'll show up in our room in the middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning. And he sleeps weird because, he you know, he, night terrors. So, like, I'll wake up with a foot in my face. Do you know what I do when he puts his foot in my face? Not usually what I want to do. I usually give him a hug, and I'm like, come on, Noah, get up. And I drag him back to his room. If you showed up in my room like that, 
with your foot in my face, probably not calling the cops, all right? Let me, I'm going to do something else. Does that make sense? Because you're not my son. I like you guys. I spent a couple of days with you. I'm like, oh, man, I hear your names. I know your stories. I'm like, yeah, don't. You know, that's not the relationship that we have. You know, I'm a son. I'm not relating. We don't have that type of personal connection. But what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. God relates to people like I relate to my son. He's a father, very personal. But he keeps going. He says, our father in heaven. So he's getting at that God isn't just a personal God. He's a powerful God. His home isn't on earth primarily. His throne is in heaven. So you have this personal, powerful God that inclines his ear to people. That we have the ear of the father of the universe. The the first petition or the first request that flows out of that is fascinating. That if you have the ear of the God of the universe, what do you ask? What would you ask him? You know what we would ask him? We'd ask him the fourth or the fifth one, give me bread. That's what we would typically get. If I have access to this all-powerful, personal God, then the next thing I'm going to ask him is for provision. Do something for me. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Our Father In heaven, hallowed be your name. That before you get to provision, before you ask God for bread, you ask God that his name would be hallowed. That speaks at adoration. That's that's that hollow word. It's it's weird. It's it's not in usage frequently, um, but but it's, it's so profound. It carries this idea of something being treated utterly, uniquely, set apart, and different. So um, I don't do a lot of things well, um, but one thing I do do well, I think, um, humble brag, is I I like to grill, cook. Um, I've been cooking a lot, even though my wife is on this pescatarian, vegan with the health situation. Um, And and so, but I've been, I just get down. And, And so in cooking, um, there's, this, there's this apron that I wear. It's, it says Grill Master. It's black. It has all of our kids' handprints on it. I got it for Father's Day. But I only bring it out when I'm going to the grill, specifically this green egg. I, when I, and when I go down there, eyes light up because they know it's about to go down. So a couple weeks ago, last week, because last week was Christmas, um, we were kind of weird, so we really don't do t- turkey for Christmas. We do, like, ribs and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, hey, who would? I can't see you, but woo back. And so put the apron on. Eyes were like, yeah, we know what's going down. Don't nobody else wear that apron, and it's only brought out for special moments. It's hollowed. It's treated differently. And when you see it, it provokes a unique response. And what he's saying is that's how God should be regarded to provoke a unique response of adoration. Oh, it's about to go down. God, what are you about to do? Who are you? Furthermore, what's interesting is that Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, God, our Father in heaven should be hallowed, but he's identifying something particular about him that should be hallowed, namely his name. Now, biblically, you know, um, Sam, you brought this out, what, yesterday, amazing. 
a name, like it's not just what you call somebody, but it's this, this idea of character, what you intend them to be or what you hope them to be or what you feel when you say their name. It's attributes. And in the course of human history, you have this significant moment where God gives his name. Exodus 3. God is, is getting ready to deliver the people of Israel. He remembers his covenant. He, he shows that I'm kind. And he pulls out this one man, Moses. You, you know the story. Uh, maybe you don't. Moses is afraid, rightfully so. He's getting ready to take on the most powerful army in the nation. And in his fear and trembling, he's like, man, like, well, who should I tell them is sending me? Now, in ancient cultures, um, you, you would want the name of a God that you would serve so that you could control them, kind of like Rumpelstiltskin. So if I know your name, I can get you to do what I want you to do if you change your mind. So in his frailty and his fear, he's asking God for his name, part because like, well, God, are you powerful enough? Is your name huge? But if you aren't, I can still control you. So I got it in my back pocket. And the way God responds to him is significant. He first doesn't start by giving him his name. He gives him his being. He gives him his character, who I am, by saying, I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. The self-existent one who is free, not contingent on you, not controlled by you. That is my being. But then he gives him his name, his covenant name, Yahweh, built on I am. And his covenant name is one where I will extend kindness and mercy and grace and love everlasting towards you because I'm free. And he's saying that reality of who God is, is to be adored and set apart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Adored from the deepest parts of our hearts. That makes the next petition logical, right? Uh, Irene, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a missional imperative. It is a third person petition. It is asking God to do something, namely spread that name, spread that adoration through the doing of his will. That when, 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 when God's like, name is adored, like his, his kingdom and the doing of his will will be sought after. That maybe the reason why God's name is not hallowed or adored in our communities because it's not first hallowed or adored in our hearts. That the doing of God's will is not taking place because the cherishing of his name isn't present in our hearts. And I like this because it's, he's, he's, not, he's not confused. He's very clear on how he wants this kingdom and this will to be done and experienced on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how God's will is done in heaven? Perfectly. Do you know how God's name is treated in heaven? 
preciously. Holy, 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 holy all the time. Do you know how it's meant to be experienced on earth like that? Perfectly and preciously. But how will that happen? Like, like how, how, how will God's name be adored? How will his will and his kingdom come? The only way that happens is if you see God rightly. This is all we've been talking about. It's seeing God rightly. And you see God rightly through the gospel. It is the clearest picture of who God is and what God wants for all people everywhere, all time which is to experience his personal, powerful nature. Two times that the gospel has been the realest, that I've seen it the most in my life, I've shared with a few of you, was the birth of Serenity and the death of my brother. When Serenity was born, that's my oldest, we locked eyes. She looked like a little alien, but she was still cute. And I was like, yeah, oh, <sighs> melted. Had me wrapped from birth. Couldn't even speak a word. And I was going, yeah, what do you want? Yes. Horses, unicorns, I'll go make it up. <laughs> and all I could think as I was locking eyes with her is, man, there's no way, there's no way that I would willingly let you die for friends, let alone enemies. But that's what God did. That God willingly gave his only son for enemies. And then with my, with, with my brother, and, and you guys kind of know the story, and just having to preach his funeral and, and, and just being reminded that, man, my heart's not where I'm preaching, but God, you're going to pull my heart there. I'm over here saying truth that I don't yet believe fully, but God, you're going to pull my heart there because that's the way you work. You pull my heart progressively towards truth. So I'm saying it and I get down and I'm sitting down. I'm watching my dad weep and I'm, I'm weeping. We're all crying. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. God peels back the curtains and he shows me my dad. And he shows me my little brother just standing there. And what the gospel says is that God is a father. We just read it. Our father in heaven. And what the gospel says is that God wants to treat people like sons. And the way that he does that is Jesus has to die for their sins, for our good. He has to die. But while we were yet sinners, enemies, murderers, yelling crucify, Jesus died. So that God could treat us like a son, though we were wicked murderers. It's, and it's literally the image that God just peeled back. Let me see, was like that the gospel says, my dad steps over Chelke, which was my little brother CJ, steps over his body and starts washing the hands of Anthony and Arthur and Justin. Water's still bloody. And starts treating them as if they were the son that they just murdered. That's the gospel. And I sat back and I'm like, that's superior than anything I can imagine. I can't write a story like that. I won't write the story that way. But when you see the gospel, it moves you to adore God. My challenge, my question is, where are the moments in your life where the gospel has come alive the most? Has it been so far this weekend? 
Think about those moments. Hold on to him. It's because when we see him, we'll adore. And the only way we'll see him is through the gospel. But then that sight must be spread. How then will it be spread? Um, let, me, let me read something that helps me, um, and then we'll move to, to, to close a little bit. Um, it's from the seventh person of the Trinity. Um, the, you know, amen. Spurgeon. Ow, that thou mayest reign. There's really only three people of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Oh, that thou, I just want to make sure because I, Mike, forgive me. Um, oh, that thou mayest reign over all hearts and lands. Men have thrown off their allegiance to you, O oh Father, God. And we pray with all our might that he may, by his almighty grace, subdue them to loyal obedience. As we talked about um, yesterday, the obedience of faith, the glad and willful surrender to the will of God in our lives. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We long for the coming of King Jesus. But meanwhile, we cry to our Father, thy kingdom come. We desire for the supreme will to be done in earth with a cheerful, constant, universal obedience like that of heaven. We would have the Lord's will carried out, not by the great physical forces which never fail to be obedient to God, but by loving, active spirits, by men. Once rebellious, but graciously renewed. Oh, oh, that all who say this prayer may display on the earth the holy alacrity of obedience, which is seen in the happy, hearty, united, and unquestioning service of perfect saints and angels before the throne. Our heart's highest wish is for God's honor, dominion, and glory. I love it. He's interpreting Matthew 6. And what he's bringing out is just the desire for God's kingdom, God's kingdom being two part, his, his tangible rule and reign where, where he consumes all of history and he's ruling no sin anywhere. All tears wiped away, no pain, no death, the end of times. But it's, it's also his expression of being followed in the meantime. That's why where Jesus gives us this prayer is powerful because, again, he's re, re, renewing, reconstructing what it means to follow Christ, a kingdom ethic that is inward obedience, not outward conformity. That's why he says stuff like, you heard it, you heard it said that if you commit adultery, I'm like, no, no, no. If you lust at a woman, if you have lust in your heart. So he's saying, no, no, the kingdom of God flows from the heart and it shows up in the life and it shows up as justice. That's why he talks about how do you interact with people in terms of murder. You can't have justice in our world unless you have this heart that says, no, 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 this person matters because they're made in the image of God. And God's will matters for how I should relate to them. And so this, like Spurgeon's interpretation is capturing that, but then he, he, he hits at, well, well, we want that, but we don't want that to come from just the angels. We want it to come from men who've been redeemed, who were once rebellious, once murderous enemies, but have now been graciously renewed. They've believed the gospel 
And not only have they believed the gospel, they're now living out the gospel. The living out of the gospel is called discipleship. Growing and living out of truth that you say you believe. Colossians says in chapter two, in the same way you receive Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? Was it because you were good enough? Because you were smart enough? Were you strong enough? No, grace, faith, the gospel. How do you grow in Christ? How do you live out in Christ? Grace, faith, the gospel. By the way, this is how Jesus builds out the rest of Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 4, 23 to Matthew 9, 36, you have what's called an inclusio. That's a fancy way of saying bookmark. So people like me, theologians and stuff like that, we like creating crazy language that's not really helpful. It's a bookmark. And what it says is that everything that happens between Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9 is the exact same thing. He's just unpacking that. Matthew 4, 23 reads like this. And Jesus went through... Um, all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among all the people. Matthew 9, 35 says the exact same thing. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages and teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And what Matthew 9, 36 says next is powerful because we would read that Jesus healed how many sick? All. This was like call and response. Jesus, how many sick did he heal? How many diseases? All of them. You know what we would call that? A booming ministry. Oh, we clap for that. Right? Oh, oh, oh. So you would assume that Jesus would be like, yeah, let's keep going. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus is moved towards compassion. I'll read it. It's, he says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That where most people would look at all of this, people are following him, diseases are being healed. Jesus isn't celebrating that. He's moved towards compassion. Then he's saying, wait, wait, there's actually something wrong with this situation. He says they are like Sheep without shepherds. Then he goes on and he says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into his field. Laborers in context are shepherds. Shepherds are close to the sheep. They care for them. They nurture them. They move them towards life and health. Do you know what that's called? Discipleship. Keep going. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is now drawing his people. He's, he's gathering his disciples. The crowds are constantly following him. He's pulling some away. He says, yeah, who do you say to him? What is a 411 on me? And people, are, Yo, some say that you're a good teacher. Some say that you're Elijah. So you're like a powerful prophet, man. That's the same things we say about Jesus now. And he says, yeah, yeah but, but what do you say? And, then, and Peter responds very bold. He says, he says you're, 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 you are Jesus, the son of God, the living Christ. Jesus responds to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. Good job, Peter. You got it right. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. You got to understand what he's, what, he's, what he's communicating. He says, I'm going to build my church, the carrier of the gospel, the, the, the housing and the growers of disciples. When we think discipleship, we need to think Church, not curriculum. Community, not curriculum. 
And on this, I'm going to build my church. And what's fascinating is this idea that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now, gates is a defensive term. Like in, in, in the ancient days, you, if you want a secure city, you would have strong gates and high walls because then you'll be protected. In other words, what's being communicated is that the gospel isn't on the defensive. It's on the offensive. It's going out. It's being spread. Disciples are being made. Lives are being changed. The adoration of God is being felt. And unless we miss it, Jesus closes Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. We may have quoted that. It makes for good bumper stickers. It makes for good coffee mugs and great Christian t-shirts. But it is the marching orders of somebody who's fallen in love with God to both grow and go and making disciples. You know what gets God off the throne? Where he starts people growing as disciples because that means that they're growing in their affections for who God is because they're growing in their understanding of what the gospel has done. And it is in that growth that the spread of the rule and the adoration of God happens, discipleship. And it's not complex. It's quite simple. You want to grow as a disciple? Involve yourself in a community where you could see God and see the gospel come alive. Such as this. watching you guys interact with one another and there's authentic love, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens when the gospel anchors your heart so that you don't have to compete. Making disciples, growing in it, seeing God. But then you go out and then you pour out your life for the sake of others in closing. There's this um, passage that has always rocked me that I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to leave you at. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This has a, just a note, you know, because I'm a pastor, so I just do pastoral stuff. Um, read your Bible. <laughs> you want to see Jesus? Read your Bible. You want to see God? Read your Bible. And, like, don't skip over little things like, oh, like the genealogies. Oh, my gosh. Just get me to the good stuff, the quotable things, right? Don't do that, man. I had a professor. He used to say, man, if we scrape the surface of the scriptures, we may get a few nuggets. But if we dig, we'll get gold every time. Oh, that we would dig and we would see. Luke 1, 1 through 4 reads like this. This is Luke writing. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That is significant. It's overlooked because we want to skip to like Luke 10 with the Good Samaritan. 
and we miss, like this is significant. He said, it seemed good to me, O Theophilus. Some people think that it's just like, just random, like ideas, just any general person. That's not the way that it feels when it's written because Luke also addresses the book of Acts, which he wrote to Theophilus. So it seems to me that there's this person that, that Luke had a desire for. He said that it seemed good to me to document everything that I know concerning Jesus, concerning Christianity, concerning the gospel, and how it's on the move in the hearts of men, namely Acts, and to present it to you. Now think about that. Between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, you have over 44,000 words. Could you imagine writing a paper that long? Some of y'all still, y'all like, no. Just so if you want to be like a PhD, that's, that's the average thesis is about 40,000 words. Stay in school, right? <laughs> but Luke, think about Luke composed a thesis concerning the truth of the gospel so that one man would have certainty in his faith. Man, what are you willing to do so that somebody would know Jesus more? Would you, would you pour out your life like that to give of your time, to document, to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to go through every account, every person. I'm going to interview them. I'm going to write it all down so you, Theophilus, would be moved towards the heart of God, that you would see him and stand in awe of him, that you would read the gospel of Luke and you would see all of these stories, all of these parables, and you would see how Jesus is interacting with people in a very merciful and tender and gracious way that you would see acts. You would see how the Holy Spirit is causing change everywhere. That there's this glorious advance of the gospel that Theophilus, you would see that. You would fall in love with the God who is doing that. Would you pour your life out for somebody like that? Do you know God like that? To where he would even move you to want to? If not... There's breath in your lungs. The opportunity is there to move closer and closer and closer and to let the weight of this prayer, a personal, powerful God who should be adored, sit on your heart and stir you to action. So Jesus, make it so. That we would see, we would fall in love, we would have tremendous affections bubbling from the depths of who we are reaching far beyond our frustrations and our fears and, and, and laying hold of your truth and, and anchoring who we are and our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations all there. And living in light of that. The task is weighty. But the work, oh, it's so fulfilling to just know you, to delight in you, and to spend life living out of that space. So God, I pray with my brothers and sisters, you, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.